0: Welcome to another edition of the CDG BizCast. I'm your host, Christian Gonzalez, co-owner of Creativity Design Group, a digital marketing firm in Houston, Texas. Today, we are going to be discussing some tips for small business owners to help their businesses survive the increasing inflation. Joining me today are experienced business owner and concerned consumer, Anthony Russell, and concerned consumer, Justin Rael. In today's episode, we are going to discuss Seven Ways Small Business Owners Can Cope With Inflation, according to an article from American Express. So, Anthony, as an experienced business owner yourself, please tell me. Tell me more about how you have seen inflation affect some of your previous business ventures and what experiences you went through and how you handled such a crisis.
1: So when it comes to small business inflation basically it really does affect small business owners from my personal experience um, um you know i would always budget what my overhead a month in advance knowing what i need to pay for the upcoming month when it comes with uh, inflation of whether it's cost of my products or it can be something as simple as cost of overhead and utilities and so forth, it wound up costing me a part-time employee that I had because uh, I had to cut expenses in order to consume those uh, uh, higher prices that I was paying, whether it be for a product or just the standard overhead as far as uh, rental space and etc. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, uh, you know, I'll, as I mentioned previously on, on another show, uh, um, I was snuggled in between a Blockbuster and a Walmart because I run a, a video game retail store. And I had to deal with those expenses as well. You know, I had to compete with those um, large quantity buyers and compete with their prices. So, uh, unfortunately, and my worst experience, it cost me a part-time employee.
0: That's quite unfortunate because when you lost your employee, you were pretty much forced to run the whole show by yourself, right? Correct, yes. Inflation is rising like crazy, and at the time of us recording this, which is July of 2022, it has been announced that the annual inflation rate here in the U.S. has reached 9%. This is a four-decade high. It has not been this high since the 80s, and Americans are facing a lot of struggles. They are spending more on things that they usually don't spend a whole lot on. We are seeing increases in consumer goods. We're seeing increases in services. We're also seeing increases in a variety of other products out there, especially food products. And then of course, we're seeing record-breaking gas prices out there on the street right now, with gas reaching as high as $6 a gallon in some places, and in some states even higher than that. It's very scary. And as a small business owner with limited resources, you need to know exactly what you can do to continue to provide services to your clients without driving them away due to increases in costs. And we can't just simply keep our prices at certain rates, especially when inflation is causing us business owners to spend more on the goods and services we need to keep our businesses afloat. Or that's usually the main reason why. We have to raise prices on our goods and services because us business owners have to make sure that we're not taking losses and that we're making a profit. Yeah, as a consumer, I've
2: definitely noticed increases in prices across the board in food and non-perishable goods such as clothes and items that are important to pedestrian safety. Mm Mm-hmm. For example, I've noticed that food prices are going up an average of 30 to 40 cents across the board.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That means I have to budget extra money for groceries. And that means I have less discretionary income to spend it on a night at the movies, for example. Right.
1: And even the, the grocery suppliers are having to cut back their stuff, even though they're a big chain of corporations. I mentioned a Christian in a private conversation about, you know, you're paying more for food. Say you're paying um a dollar 25 for a two liter soda and that may be going down to a liter and a half or something out of, of, out of a machine or a 12 ounce 16 ounce can of soda goes to a 12 ounce can but you're still but you're paying more for it at the same time mm-hmm. so they're having a the weak rec- cost as well
0: right that's called shrinkflation i've noticed that in particular
2: walmart's been investing heavily in automation hence why they've invented the mm-hmm. self-checkout Mm -hmm. so that they don't have to keep as many cashiers on staff. Right. Because a lot of businesses are now hiring door greeters to actually welcome you into the store when you get there, but also to make sure you're not stealing merchandise from the self-checkout machine.
0: In fact, what I've learned about retail stores is that to prevent theft at the self-checkout lines, what they'll do is they have cameras, and these cameras have special technology within them that can detect if an item somebody is passing along the scanner is actually being scanned. Because some people will try to pull the five-finger discount by making it look like they scanned the items, but when, in fact, they have not. They've also done this with cashiers as well, because cashiers will sometimes like to help out their friends and family by pretending that they are paying for something when they are, in fact, not. They're just trying to fool the camera or whoever's watching the camera into thinking that they scanned the item. But now that they have... This infrared technology that can detect when people are scanning items or not. It does help save money for the company. Aside from inflation, both internal and external theft does have an impact on the consumer. Because when somebody steals from you, who pays for it? We do. The consumers pay for it. How? Because the... Retailer has no choice but to increase their prices retailers have to increase their prices in order to make a profit to make up for the losses They incurred because of theft Exactly and
1: I wasn't in a situation where I could really adjust my prices So it resulted in me having to let an employee go in order to keep up with with this day-to-day maintenance on everything Because being in between two superstores, I mean Decreasing my prices to to meet the higher inflation, would, uh, it would wound up costing me money in the long
0: run. Right. And being sandwiched between two corporations, I mean, personally, if I saw that, I would support your company because you're the small business. I don't need to give my money to Blockbuster or Walmart. You know, Blockbuster's not in business anymore to begin with, but I'm just saying that. I always choose to support small businesses first. Those corporations, they're not in the same boat as we are. When you're a small business owner, you rely heavily on your business to feed your families and to make a living and to make sure you're covering your everyday expenses, both related to the business and personal expenses at home. I like to stress all the time to everybody Support your small businesses. We need your support. I want to go ahead and discuss some of the main points of this article. Now, this article from American Express is called Seven Ways Small Business Owners Can Cope With Inflation. And it was written by Julie Bowden Davis of Garden Guides Press. And this article covers seven steps that can help a small business handle inflation. And Justin, you mentioned a few minutes ago about automation. This that's actually the first step mentioned on this article. Yes, because
2: if you automate the checkout process, if you're a grocery store, suddenly instead of having eight cashiers and eight registers, you can have you can have two cashiers and a manager acting as loss prevention mm-hmm. at eight set checkout kiosks. Right. That means you can process six additional customers with minimal additional overhead.
0: Right you're having your employees wear more than one hat and then they're able to manage things easier when you have employees doing more than one thing it does help cut down on costs of hiring additional employees automation is key to any business really it doesn't matter if you're a corporation or a small business automation will definitely save you both time and money in the article it mentioned about a warehouse that got reorganized with new shelving it doubled the productivity
2: and storage capacity of the warehouse so that they were able to expand operations because they could keep additional inventory on hand for their customers right to slow down the rate at which they had to increase
0: prices mhm they did a great job at making sure that their warehouse was streamlined they were able to save costs right there you need to streamline and automate all of your everyday processes everything should should operate like an assembly line every process when and i
2: worked in fast food mhm They, instead of having you manually count all the cash, they had a special machine that could
0: count the weight of the cash Mm -hmm. and tell you how much cash was actually in the tray. That's actually quite common these days now. Most cash registers are electronic. That way you can manage how much cash is in there per register. And then if you really need to look back on how many sales were made for the day, you could simply just run a report from the software that runs the cash registers.
2: Yeah, and I find that that's very helpful because it's a lot easier to have one register now mm-hmm. if you've got two employees running eight registers. If one of them goes down, it doesn't interrupt your cash flow Right. because you can simply shut that one down until you can restart it and call your technician.
3: Mm-hmm. Right. But it so
2: it the business flowing right. through your other seven
0: registers. Because you should never let a technical difficulty shut down your entire business. All, you need to be able to keep things going. That's part of streamlining and automating your processes. You want to make sure that if this happens you have a backup plan so that way you can keep sales going. You should never let one thing shut down your whole business. Always need to have contingency plans. You need to know what to do in the event of an emergency. Which means that not only does your
2: cashier need to know your cashiering But also, it's a good idea to cross-train them on how to do technical diagnostics of the cash register should it malfunction so that they can fix it for you. So you are spending less on having an internal IT department Mm -hmm. because your cashiers are able
0: to act as your IT department. That will save even more money in the long run because then you're spending less on tech support. Right. If you're a small business owner, you need to know all this stuff too. You need to know how to act as IT department, security, cashier. You need to know how to wear all the hats because in a small business, most of the time you don't have the budget to outsource to a third party IT company or security company. As an owner, you need to know how to do all of this yourself just in case an emergency happens. And chances are you don't have several lanes of cash registers like big stores do. So you'll want to have some sort of backup system in place if your main point of sale goes down. I've seen business owners use Square, PayPal, and other different methods of payment. For example, if Square goes down, for whatever reason, use Zelle as a backup option. And Zelle's also great, too, because they don't charge any processing fees. But in general, a streamlined business that's automated by whatever methods you have available will save your company a lot of money. Anywhere where you can save money will help you in the long run because now you're not only losing money by having to spend on hiring more people or outsourcing to third-party firms but it also helps keep prices low too because the more you have to spend on employees and third-party sources the higher you're going to have to increase your prices in order to make a profit. Yeah, because in order to stay in business, every time your costs go up, the cost to your customer has to go up in order to keep you funded. Exactly, exactly. And we discovered that during 2020 when the pandemic started, during the COVID pandemic. A lot of business owners, because they either had to close down or they were only allowed to operate on a limited basis, they had to pass on several costs on to their customers. For example, if you were a hair salon and you had to buy cleaning supplies to keep your chairs and all your equipment to clean and sanitized, you would have to increase the cost of your services to pay extra for cleaning supplies and solutions that were required to keep things sanitary because more people were buying soap and hand sanitizing solutions. Due to the emergency.
2: One thing that I find interesting about the fact that we just had this pandemic that is still ongoing in some areas, is that uh, if you are able to promote that the reason that your prices have gone up is because you're spending more money on sanitation for your materials, especially if you're in food service, Mm -hmm. then that's going to play well in the mind of your consumer because they'll think that because you're spending more on sanitation, and you're going to be one of the cleanest places in town to eat, and that will
0: generate return business. That's right. Yes, I agree.
1: And I was going to say, basically, it, it, is, it does come down in a small business as something as small as clean and surprise or, or something similar to that, because... I would spreadsheet everything out that I knew I had upcoming for, for the previous month that I had upcoming for the next month. Just to give a ballpoint idea, I knew what I would normally make in profit every month, and if I'm going to be a red line or a black line and so forth. But it goes to some of the simplest, the smallest thing going up that's going to cost you. It's a chain reaction effect because it's going to determine how you're going to pay this bill, how you're mm-hmm. going to pay this overhead, your, you know utilities. One thing affects everything else.
0: That's right. And that actually leads us into the second step that they mentioned in the article, analyzing your profit margins. So, small business owners need to follow the method that you just described to me, Anthony. You need to look at your profit margins and look and see, just basically evaluate your costs and look at what you're actually making when you sell per unit. So, What can you do to increase your profit margins? How can you sell more of a certain product? Will this require you to raise your costs? The first thing you need to do is look into what the MSRP is, the Manufacturer Suggested Retail Prices, right? And you need to see, are you making a decent profit by selling at what the MSRP is? And Anthony, since you've had experience with this before, What was your method trying to increase your profit margins? Did you ever have to raise your prices higher? Did you have to sell higher than what the MSRP of each individual product was? There
1: were times where that happened. uh, Well, several times that happened for the manufacturer to... To tell suggested price would have to sell more because you are a small business but at the same time uh, where i was a buy sell and trade business my a lot a lot of my inventory walked in through the door on its own so mm-hmm. it, i could still i could still get the same kind of inventory and pay similar to maybe walmart pricing and so forth i would have uh where i could uh, this is you know what i would pay for a manufacturer price where i could get it from my vendor and then i would have a uh, uh I buy uh what i would buy from you as a used person or i give it to you in trade credit and so forth like you know GameStop and a lot of those places do so mm-hmm. uh yeah but there were times when it when it comes to a brand new product i would have to sell uh a dollar or two more above the uh msrp just uh just to make a profit and um I, I mostly like i said i did most of my business in use sales and trade-ins because of that
0: and that definitely benefited your business quite a bit because when you when you are buying trade-ins it doesn't cost as much as buying wholesale from a vendor because that's two different processes when you buy from a consumer who's just trying to trade in you're most likely not going to spend that much because they are bringing in a used product that does not have as much value as a brand new product does
1: yeah, I would offer incentives. As, as they were bringing a used product, whether it be a game movie or a game system, we also did game repair, uh, system repair, you know, I would give them a certain amount in cash, they just wanted to trade it out for cash, if they just wanted to do a trade-in, I was able to give them a little bit more, which was an incentive for them to go and find something else, and then they would find something else, bring it up, and then I would still make product off of that, make payment off of that from what they found for the
0: trade-in. Right, right. That's your typical process. handling trade-ins and trade-ins can definitely be of great value to your business depending on what you're buying of course you don't want to just buy anything you want to make sure that whatever Mm. the consumers are selling you actually is worth the price because a brand new item that somebody is bringing to you let's say using your business as an example let's say someone brought you in a copy of the latest video game of a certain video game mm-hmm. franchise, right? Chances are you're going to pay top dollar prices to buy it from them, right? Well,
1: I, what I would do if, if I say it's a brand new game, but it's a used game in this situation, I would basically uh, I, I would have I, I would have lists that would come out every month from my vendor of what it would cost me to get it from them, mm-hmm. and then has a used as, as, as buying it from as a used product, I would do. Usually, comparatively, pricing on what it's going for on Amazon or eBay or at that time Half.com, right?
3: And
1: uh, then I would use that price that I would get on average, and use my flow chart that I would use to tell them what I could give them, give them this X amount of dollars for cash or X amount of dollar in store credit to go towards another product that they can use at any time. So that would, and I really like that because if they didn't use it today. They still had X amount of time to use their credit, so it would bring them back in and maybe buy something else from you later on with in-store credit.
0: Mm-hmm. And we discussed in-store credit in our previous episode when we were talking about how some businesses like Amazon, for example, will only refund you on store credit. I know their policies have changed by now, but that's a good way to keep your customer coming back to your business specifically versus giving them cash and having them spend it elsewhere. And if you're in close proximity to your competitors, like your business was... You're definitely going to want to make sure your customers take advantage of the in-store credit you're offering to them. That way they don't go next door to one of the other two competing businesses and spend there.
2: The thing is
0: that if you offer in-store credit, the customer
2: will come back and use that on items they wouldn't ordinarily buy mm-hmm. or could potentially give them that little extra credit <laughs> and they need to use that cash to get groceries because they had to spend more on something else Mm
3: -hmm. that will
2: generate loyalty to your store and they'll be more likely to shop at your store consistently to earn the cash back rewards especially if you have a card program like Kroger does
0: yes loyalty programs are a great way to increase profit margins because that keeps your customers going back for more we actually assisted one of our clients here at CDG with getting a loyalty card program started and it worked out very well for them. The reason why they wanted to do that is because they wanted to see what they could do to keep their customers coming back to them more often. They sold a variety of food products and they gave them a free product after they reached 10 stamps on their card. The key to increasing your profit margins are to analyze them and to think about what you can do to keep your customers coming back to your business to buy more what can you do to really increase profits and that leads into our next topic. The third step mentioned in this article is improving productivity and that goes hand-in-hand with step one which is streamlining and automating your processes. When you streamline and automate your processes you should also think about what can you do to improve productivity at your business. If you are able to serve your customers at a much faster rate while maintaining accuracy you know those people are going to be coming back to you for more, especially if you are serving your customers better than your competitor next door is. Yeah, because that's what keeps me going back to my local smartphone repair shop. They
2: always have my device back to me within two hours whenever Mm -hmm. I drop it off. Right. Unless it's an overnight repair on a more complicated item.
0: Just by simply satisfying your customers, serving them in a timely manner, and making sure that they always have something to offer to the public that has a lot of value to it. Those are all ways you can bring your customers back in for more. Those are all ways you can keep your customers coming back to you, creating repeat customers. When you improve productivity, if you're serving your customers just like that, you're giving them A-plus service, you're going to see your profits grow higher, and you'll see more customers coming in. The more customers you have coming into your door, coming in to buy your products or services, the less you have to worry about lowering your prices, because if you have a steady cash flow, you don't need to raise your prices higher, and you don't have to lower them either.
1: And customers like it when you when you give them the loyalty programs, or you, or they, or they can get free stuff on our products if they bought something for the first thirty days or so. If they, even if it as a result of their rough usage or whatever. They have trouble with a game that's skipping or a disc that's skipping. For the first 30 days, I I, I was able to do a disc repair, which would cost me maybe, with the cleaning solution that goes in the machine, maybe five cents to do a disc. No big deal. Through the first 30 days, if we have a problem with one of their games, whether it's my fault or their fault, I would give them a free disc repair.
0: Mm-hmm. Freebies are a great way to keep your customers interested and what you have to offer. In fact, the only thing I have to say about giving freebies and discounts in general is only do it when you know it's it's not going to break the bank. We discussed two episodes ago that giving too many discounts can automatically destroy your business and if you give away freebies you will want to make sure that you're giving your customer a good enough value with that freebie that'll keep them feeling good, that'll encourage them to want to keep giving your business their business. Otherwise, you just gave them something for free and you're not getting a return on investment from it. You still have to pay for some, mm-hmm. something to get that freebie. You have to buy it and then you give it to the customer as a gift. So you want to make sure that, that customer truly values the free gift you're giving them or they're probably not going to come back to your business regularly. They may still come back in general, but they won't feel enticed enough to keep coming back. Therefore, your return on investment on that gift you bought is
1: all for nothing. And it gave them security that uh, we care about the product uh, you know if, if they have problems with it we'll take care of it. but which you know at that time you're your blockbuster Walmart you buy the disc and it messes up they're not going to repair it for you. No. Nope. So uh, that, that, that just shows that uh, the customer that you know that you care about what you're selling them and that, that you do sell quality to attempt to sell a quality product and if not you'll take care of it.
0: That's right. When you get things done, you want to make sure that your customer is beyond satisfied and that they love the value or that they are benefiting from the value of the product and that they see that you care about making them happy. Yes.
2: Which means that you should train everybody in the company with the mindset that they are to treat the customer as though that customer is the boss because yeah, there is only ever one boss, the consumer. That's right. And he can the consumer can fire the entire company simply
0: by spending the money somewhere else. Mm-hmm. That's right. Your whole business can collapse simply because your customer base has abandoned you and we've seen that happen all the time. That's why several large businesses or large companies that we heard of in the past, like Blockbuster for example, are no longer in business anymore. Because Redbox first killed Blockbuster, and then streaming services came later, and that's pretty much killing Redbox now. What's going to kill streaming services in the future? We don't know. But something bigger and better will eventually come down the road and put Disney+, Plus, Paramount+, Plus, and HBO Max, and all those other similar platforms right out of business.
2: Lyft and Uber are killing traditional taxis, which tend to be unsafe, mm-hmm. a magnet for crime, and... Quite often, it's been my experience that non-Uber, non-Lyft drivers in the taxi business have a tendency to drive much too fast, and the cabs often smell like illegal drugs and or puke.
0: Mm Mm-hmm, that's right. There's always safer and better alternatives out there than the mainstream ones. The typical taxi service? Yeah, you're right about that. Taxi services aren't usually run normally by a corporation versus your Uber and your Lyft those are independent contractors. Those are people who don't work for these companies, but they contract with them to provide their services. When you support your Uber and Lyft drivers, you are supporting a small business. That individual person who drives that car is a business owner. They're just contracted under the uber or lyft name
1: and you had mentioned streaming services they're they're already you know there's nothing something to take the place of streaming services right now but they're already feeling the cost of inflations too because you're seeing things like uh hulu combining with espn and disney combining with discovery and they're combining the resources in order to continue moving on with their streaming services and uh for example cnn plus that service was launched a month ago and it's already defunct
0: Right, I've heard about that. What happened was that Warner Media, which was owned by AT and T, owner of CNN, was sold to Discovery to form Warner Brothers Discovery, and the new CEO saw no potential in CNN Plus, so it was given the axe. That was the whole yeah. story behind it.
2: I noticed with Androids that some that an increasing number of the newer Android smartphones. Are following Apple's lead and ditching to micro SD cards mm-hmm. because they really don't work that well, especially with Android. And what they're doing is just building really more capacity onto the
0: default storage in the phone itself, way Apple does. Mm-hmm. That's right. And what you're describing is exactly what step number four in the article describes, to cut expenses when and where possible. And that also includes in the production of the product. So if you don't need that micro SD card, go ahead and scrap it. Chances are the customer is is most likely frustrated with it too because of how problematic it is. I know I've had problems with them myself. You put it in your phone and then the phone itself can't recognize it or says that it's corrupt even though it's a brand new card. I have faced that problem myself before. So I am personally glad to see the SD card going the way of the cassette tape.
2: One thing that I've noticed over the years is that uh, the minimum size of the phone you can buy is increasing steadily. Used to be it was a good deal if you could find a sixteen gig. hmm These days if you spend more than two hundred dollars, the minimum size the phone even comes with is a one hundred twenty eight gig these days. Or more than four times as much capacity. As the Android of even just two years ago
0: yes i've I've noticed that too. The reason why they're doing that is because they want to give customers more value, and that's one thing that we've been stressing. You want to give your customers as much bang for their buck as they possibly can get, and by increasing the storage limit to one hundred and twenty eight gigabytes out of the box, that makes the deal look even more attractive. They'll want to buy that new Android phone because of that.
2: yeah, I actually have a friend. That I paid for her new Android and she was interested in getting the 128 gig because the phone she had was only 32 but I insisted that she get the 512 because that's the one I insisted on paying for
3: mm-hmm.
2: so that it would be a phone she would have not just now but still be happy with when she got all her files loaded onto the new device and find out that she still got enough room to update everything all the time and be able to work with OS updates as need be and still have breathing room on the storage space in
1: the phone to work with. And, and cell phone companies really need to, like Justin said, incorporate that storage in their phone because it's just like a computer or Windows or anything, anything else. You got, say, for example, back in the day, you bought a phone with eight gigabytes worth of built in storage. Well, probably three to four of those gigabytes are going to be, they don't tell you that it's taken away from it because the operating system files it's their self. Mm -hmm. So you're already losing it straight out of the box. You're not getting the full 8 gigabytes or 128, whatever it is. And when it comes to the SD card, well, a lot of people don't realize, yeah, they fail a lot, but some of it can be user error because those SD cards come in classes of 1, 2, 3, and 4, and all the way up, I think, maybe 10. That And it has to be, a, some, some of these funds require just a certain class of car that you actually have to shop and look around for pay attention to that they don't tell you that.
0: Right. Based on what you said, these cell phone manufacturers have been giving us shrinkflation before the inflation rights ever skyrocketed. They were giving you limited amounts of storage but still charging you an arm and a leg for that phone. The operating system itself does take up a lot of space. You're right. And then when it comes time to update, and that's important for security reasons, you can't update. The phone doesn't have enough room for it, even if you take the apps off. I've experienced this myself.
1: Yeah. So if I just have to clear out apps just to try to squeeze it in there, sometimes it just, it, it don't happen, which is why I had to, which is why I went to an SD card for that purpose they Mm -hmm. really just need to, there's no reason why they can't make all this internal storage and and, and do away with the
0: SD cards, there's no reason why they can't do it,
3: I don't
0: see. Right. Getting rid of SD cards (coughs) is definitely one way that manufacturers are cutting expenses and if they want more people to buy the latest iPhone or the latest Samsung phone, they're going to need to find ways to somewhat cut down on production costs during this period of, of skyrocketing inflation. Those phones look attractive in the eyes of the consumer, but do the consumers have the budget to spend on that new device? So you'll want to make sure that you can cut down on production costs by getting rid of little features and things like that. And I want to talk more about cutting expenses. One way that you can keep your prices low for your customer in general or at a moderate rate where you don't have to raise it or lower it and your company is still making a decent profit Look into ways that you can cut down operating expenses for your company. For example, if you don't need to remodel your office, don't remodel your office or your store if it still looks nice. If you're a service business and you can provide certain services remotely that don't require you to attend a physical location, switch over to using Zoom or Amazon Chime and conduct business virtually. For example, CDG. We are a 100% service-based business. We don't need to visit our clients to build their websites. They can work with us over Zoom, TeamViewer, a variety of different collaboration platforms, and they still get their services they need. And we can take payments digitally too by using Zelle or PayPal or even over Square. And then, of course, if you do have an office, you can always downsize to one that has less square footage. If you're running a retail store, stop and look at your space. Does it look like you have more space Than you actually need can you reduce your floor space can you go down to a space with less square footage yet still display all of your products in a nice manner where there's still a lot of breathing room for your customers those are certain things you can think about also think about certain bills that you're paying monthly can you cut down on certain services can you stop outsourcing certain services and take them in-house can you do them yourself? Think about products and services you're selling, especially if you're selling physical products. Look at your inventory sheets. Which products are hot sellers and which ones are not selling so well that you can just stop buying from the vendor? And then after deciding which products are not doing that well, look at the ones that you have on the sales floor, mark them down for a discount and get rid of them that way. And then advise your vendor that you no longer want to buy these products for sale in your shop anymore.
2: If it's not, you have to determine your minimum rate of return that you're willing to settle for on the, And if it hasn't sold a unit in 30 days, maybe stop buying it from your vendor and mm-hmm. mark it down, get it cleared out,
0: and buy something else from your vendor that you think would be a better fit for the demographic you target. Right. That's right. One thing I've noticed based on my own observation is that you will see a plethora of different products in the bargain bin or the discount sections at major stores. And these are usually products that are out of season or didn't sell well when they were being sold at regular price. And they're just trying to clear them out so they can make whatever profit they can offer them and move on to the next big item. Because when they take those products off the shelf... They're hoping that they'll have a better product with more value in its place. So the only way that you might be stuck would be if you're contracted with your vendor, with the manufacturer, into buying several units of said product. So at that point, you'll want to talk with your vendor. You'll want to let them know that this product that we're buying from you is not really a hot seller right now. Can we either get out of our agreement to buy these products or can we buy them at a cheaper rate, or buy less units of each item.
2: Yeah, because it does not make sense to purchase swimming trunks in December.
0: No. So,
2: December is not a month when you typically are going to find items for sale to go swimming in, or at least not stateside. Right. Because when it's winter season, nobody's going to want to go to the pool and get wet and freeze, but that's a great idea to do when it's a (laughs) <laughs>
0: outside. Oh yeah, especially here in the Houston area where it's 101 degrees. When it comes to seasonal merchandise, the best thing to do is just put it for sale at a lower price when it's out of season and then raise it to regular price when it becomes in season again, like swimming supplies. What you'll notice when you go to any retail store is that swimming supplies or anything else related to summer in general, such as grilling supplies, are going to be sold at a much cheaper rate during the winter than they will when they're in season during the summertime. That's a great way to profit seasonally from certain products. And what you'll want to do is just make sure that you have some of these supplies on hand if you really want to sell them when they're out of season. Because some people do like to stock up on these supplies when they're out of season because when they become in season again, they're probably going to sell out and then your shelves are going to be empty. When they actually want to buy them, they're not going to be there for you to get them. It's just like if you want to do your Christmas shopping in October instead of in December when everything's selling out.
2: Yeah, or stocking up on uh, stuff in July for a Thanksgiving supper in November. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it can make sense to start picking up the shelf steel things like the box of turkey stuffing and the cans of cranberry sauce in September before the day push. Mm -hmm. Yes, you will pay full price, however, that stuff will last for a few months in your pantry and you'll have it when the shelves are bare on the seasonal push.
0: That's right. That's exactly right. You can stock up on non-perishable food items and that's not only good for holidays, but also, when there is a natural disaster or emergency that forces the shelves to go empty, such as a hurricane or an earthquake, You'll have or a tornado, or a tornado right? you will have several food items on hand that you can cook simply by lighting a fire. I know
1: uh, one of the ways I would increase my inventory at our, at, at our local Walmart anyway, they have uh, sections for um, up the front, just uh, roll around racks where they uh, will do uh, discontinued items or items that maybe have been damaged in shipping. Maybe a, a box got crunched up a little bit or a, a, somebody returned the item and all they did was open the box. And, you know, so I take advantage of, of, of things like that quite a bit.
0: Yes, that's a great way to sell certain items. And for example, if it's just an open box item, maybe the box was open, but the product inside has no defects or damage to it all. It was just simply a return. Maybe it's surplus from customers who bought it but didn't need it. It looks attractive in the eyes of the customer who want to buy that at a discounted rate simply because the box was open. That's a good way to to unload that merchandise that you don't want anymore, especially if it's still in good condition. But in general, when you are buying from your vendors, from your wholesalers, the products that you're going to be putting on the shelf, do an evaluation. Look at what's selling. Look at what your hot sellers are. And... Just put those at the forefront of your business. Advertise them hotly on your website and then have attractive looking displays at your physical storefront of said product so that way when people come in, they can find it easily and they'll buy it. And then you'll watch your profits go even higher because these products are selling like hotcakes. And then you'll probably need to work with your vendor to buy more of these items as the demand continues to increase. And then going back to what I was saying earlier, Look at what products are not selling and then inform your vendor that you no longer want to buy this product anymore because they're not selling. The only thing that could stop you from having to buy more units of this unpopular product would be a clause in your contract saying that you have to continue buying up to a certain date. But other than that, you'll just want to make sure that you have your best sellers at the forefront of your business so you can see more profits increase. The more you sell per unit of your hot sellers, the less you'll have to worry about raising the prices on other items in your store. Because all the profits you're getting from the hot sellers are making up for any losses for products that are not selling on the shelves.
2: Yeah, and the interesting thing about that is, is that if you can identify your, your not selling well enough items and begin cutting your losses and getting that stuff cleared out for stuff that is going to sell, is something you should do at least once a month, is to go through your books and figure out what's moved, what's not, what was stolen, what was not, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and figure out how to discourage theft of items that are stolen, especially if they're popular, by having a security system, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and train all of your employees on loss prevention. That's right. I would argue that you should give extra rewards to any employees who act as whistleblowers Mm on fellow employees who are committing theft.
0: Right. Big corporations do have loss prevention systems in place like that where they will reward employees who call the private loss prevention hotline number that the company provides to report potential theft or to investigate theft that's going on by employees at the stores. And usually what ends up happening is that the employee who reported it does get a nice reward, a nice cash reward, and the employee who was caught, depending on what the policy is, either gets prosecuted or just simply fired. I mean, for me personally, I take theft very seriously. It doesn't matter if you stole 50 cents or you stole a million dollars from me. I view it as the same thing, and I will prosecute accordingly. I believe strongly in fighting theft because I hate it that much personally. Security is everyone's
2: job at the company. Mm-hmm. Anybody who doesn't take company security seriously is an employee that needs to move on to a job where they will take it seriously. Exactly.
1: And when you're a small business, theft is something that, can, that affects you a great deal.
0: That's right. It doesn't matter if it's internal or external theft. It can kill your business. That's why you want to keep all your employees in check. and. It's also important to remind your employees that giving unauthorized discounts to their family and friends, you know, discounts that they did not have authority to give to begin with, that they did not have permission from upper management to give, when they give those discounts, they are committing theft. They might not see it that way, but that's what they're doing. They are stealing directly from your company when they do that because they gave their friend or family member an item at a discounted price. They got 100% of the item. Your company only got a certain amount of the profit for it when they should have been charged full price.
2: Yeah. Employees that are doing that, you should come in with
0: prejudice. Mm hmm. That's right. And. Like I told you, because I hate theft so much. I wouldn't just terminate them. I would also prosecute as well.
2: And you know what? That's something that all the big businesses do. mm mm-hmm. Anytime you're caught stealing from a retailer, you're typically, depending on the policy of that retailer, banned for life mm-hmm. from all of their stores internationally. That's right. And that will follow you because they will tell every single one of their stores about you.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And you won't be able to go anywhere. Near their stores without getting a free ride in a police car.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. That's right. The local lockup. I believe in tough justice like that. That's exactly what I think deserves to happen to these thieves. And, and then, of course, they are on the list of employees to never, ever rehire. Yep. Whether it has to do with theft or or it has to do with, with products that are just not selling, it's important to pay close attention to your inventory and make sure you have enough items on hand to sell to the public. That'll also help you curb cost as well. The fifth step on this article is stock up on supplies now. If you're in any business, especially if you deal with goods, whether you're selling physical goods or you rely on certain supplies to get the job done, stocking up is going to help you in the long run. You won't have to raise your costs on your products or services if you have enough inventory on hand. If you're running short on inventory and you're not selling enough units of a certain item, chances are you're going to have to raise your costs on another item that you have in order to make a profit and use some of that profit to buy more supplies that you need to keep your business going or more units of another product that you sell at the store. Moving from retail to service-based businesses, let's say you run a painting company And I'm talking about internal or external painting for homes and businesses. Paint and brushes and labor are all items that you have to pay out of pocket for. So how do you pay for these items? First, when you get a client, you have to mark up your price accordingly. You need to think, how much are your operational costs? And then once you know how much your operational costs are, you can mark up that price accordingly and charge that to your customer. Once you know how much to charge the customer, then you just evaluate profit accordingly. You start to look at how much you spent on supplies and labor, and then how much you received as profit once the job was done. If you realize that you were spending more, if you realize that more of the money your customer paid you to do this job, to supplies and labor than it did to yourself, then you'll have to increase your profits accordingly. However, if you have enough supplies on hand, and it's a job that you can do without any additional employees, you'll profit more from that. So if you have enough of your supplies in your warehouse, or in your storage facility on hand for you to complete a client job. You won't have to raise your costs to your client in order to go and buy more of said supplies. Going back to this example of being a painting business, have several cans of paint on hand of your generic colors. If it's a special color, you'll have no choice but to go and have it mixed. Have several rollers. Have several brushes on hand. Make sure you have enough gas in the tank of your truck that you use whenever you go to a job site. I think from there, you should be able to have a nice profitable job. You should see a nice return from the job in general having enough supplies on hand definitely means that you don't have to charge as much to your customer and
2: ultimately the customer wants to spend as little money as they can get away with Mm -hmm. and still get the item
0: legally right that's true
2: almost every single time a customer goes shopping price is going to be something they're worried about Mm
3: -hmm. that's right and
2: therefore if you are the least expensive option especially if you have some best customer service in town Mm -hmm. you are going to be the one they pick
1: that's right. And speaking of prices, well, uh, what I would do is uh, it's kind of a mind trickery. So, say if I sold an iron for uh, twenty dollars, people are more likely, and believe it or not, because it's, it's just it's just a mind thing. They're more likely if I priced it at nineteen ninety eight, which is what I did. Mm-hmm. They're more they're more oh, they're more likely to buy it at nineteen ninety eight than they are twenty dollars. Right. And that even though it's just two cents, because the 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 nine not, not, I think it's the ninety eight. That business is more appealing to your brain. That's right. Um, but I, I learned that when I had to take a, a business course before, they, they had, before I started my business, and it, and it does work.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That pricing strategy is called odd-even pricing, and it's one of the first things they teach you when you go to business school or when you take any marketing class. Odd even pricing looks more attractive in the minds of the consumer because it looks lower when it's technically the same price. It makes the price look lower and more attractive. Of course, one thing that most companies never do to keep their prices looking attractive is they never include tax on the price tags or on the labels. Tax is always calculated at checkout. Exactly,
2: yeah. Yeah, and I think especially in
0: America that Americans expect that it's this price plus tax. I
2: on- they're pretty well used to that,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and I think that, that would be something that would be really interesting to change if we were to change all of the prices to what you actually pay with tax on the item at checkout. Right. I, I think the I think that people would be would have a lot more interesting shopping habits if we include the price and the taxes they have to pay on the item, right, and with the cost of the item itself.
3: mm mm-hmm. Mhm.
1: Well, that would be a lot of what I would experience when it comes to taxes as a small business because I, I again, I can think it's just a, understand, a thing of you know, well, you got a small business, you can pretty much do what you want to. For so I, I was asked many a time, if, can I waive the tax on it and so forth? And you know, big or small, I mean, that's just something by law you have to pay as a registered business. There's no, but the because uh, sometimes customers think that you can just charge them whatever you want to charge them and leave the tax and do this and do that. Mm -hmm. And tax breaks is just something you can't avoid. I mean, you'll get in trouble just like the big guys would get in trouble if you get caught.
0: That's true. You need to evaluate your pricing strategy accordingly and make sure that you're being honest. Honesty is always going to be the best policy, especially if you're a business owner. If you're pulling stuff like that, You might as well just call yourself a scammer. Yeah. Going back to stocking up, it is important to make sure that you are well stocked up on on all of your products and all of your supplies you need to conduct business with. The sixth step in the article is to raise prices judiciously. What you'll want to do is evaluate every little thing you can possibly think of. Think about what prices you can increase and do it at a moderate level. You don't want to just do it willy-nilly. Have a strategy. Think about where you can increase prices and think about where customers are less likely to notice this. For example, if you notice that certain items are not selling, maybe they have a decent amount of sales per month, but not a high amount of sales, you could probably increase those items by maybe a dollar or two. Just make sure that this pricing strategy will not hurt you in the long run and that customers won't think it looks too expensive. Have you ever faced that before, Anthony? Having to raise your prices at a moderate level, where you have to strategize. Oh, definitely,
1: yeah, and it's just—it's just part of the, the nature of the beast. For that, what you you do need to just. Inch it up by fifty cents a dollar. You don't want to go straight from a five dollar raise. So, if, they, if customers start seeing that, it's going to turn a negative eye towards you, and it's going to steer them
0: away. Mm-hmm. That's right. Price gouging is never an ethical option, and you see a lot of that during emergencies too, where gas stations, for example, during a natural disaster. They'll raise a price on a case of water from $5 to 10 just because they want to benefit from the disaster. That's not ethical. It's wrong. Yeah, and it's
2: wrong. Not only is that wrong, it's illegal in every state mm-hmm. in this nation.
0: You're right. That's true. It's illegal. And it's unethical.
2: Although every business owner that's done
0: that, it has been caught, is currently, or has, done time. Like they right. For- they need to be called. Mm-hmm. They need to be called. They rightfully deserve to be behind the bars, right?
2: Exactly. Because if you break the law, expect to pay the
0: consequences. Exactly. Do
2: not break the laws for which you do not want to pay the consequences.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: like, like Chris just said, is there's is, is just one word for it. It's flat-out scamming.
0: It is. You're a scammer when you do that. But, Anthony, I did have another question for you. Can you give me an example of what you had to do in terms of raising the prices judiciously like this article mentions. What item did you have to raise your price on, and what was your strategy in having to do it? And what was your strategy in raising this price? What was your reasoning behind having to do it? Video
1: media, we offered audio products. We did CDs and a, uh, a few um, cassettes, which of course have been going out in a robbery, going out, but they were still selling so since they were slow sellers but at the same time like you said they were fairly steady i would raise them up maybe a dollar or so
3: mm-hmm.
1: So at the same time i'm getting rid of them but i'm making a little bit more profit on them as well right. and it really didn't it really did not affect it it didn't it didn't turn customers away or anything because it was done as a gradual raise i didn't boost them up three dollars or something like that something mm-hmm. outlandish to my to notice
0: right that's a perfect example of how to raise your prices judiciously, as mentioned in the article. You have to have a strategy, and you did, and it was a modest increment. You didn't just do something crazy, you did it at a way that you knew would work and where customers most likely weren't going to notice, but still found it acceptable, the ones who did. Or I would do
1: it, or I would say, like, you know, uh, you get three cassette tapes of your choice for X amount of dollars, which is, uh, again, kind of a mind trickery thing because you're making profit, but they're not registering that. They're paying a little bit more on on each individual item. It's like, hey, I'm getting this amount of quantity for X amount of dollars.
0: Right, right. You just have to evaluate, really, how much can you charge per unit? And what's the highest you can go without going too high? What's the highest price you can charge per unit? that is still acceptable in the eyes of the consumer and you're still able to profit off of it. Because at this point all you can do is raise your price. You can't cut your prices any lower. As the inflation rate gets higher, all you can do is just raise prices on your own items. There's just so many factors involved.
1: I mean it's a trickle it's a trickle down effect you're you're at the same time you're clearing out and that's. this. Not selling as, as, as some of your popular stuff, but you're also making room so you can add popular stuff that is selling and have more room to display that.
0: Right. How many times in your case did you have to do a shelf pull, remove the items that weren't selling, and move them to the stock room because they weren't selling so you could put the more popular items up front?
1: Probably I would do that maybe three times a year Mm -hmm. like that Uh, either raise prices or literally just pull stuff off the shelf and put it back and I mean honestly I still have inventory from from close my stores over years ago that just that it just it did not sell. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I would do with it was uh, go to like Goodwill and maybe donate or something like that just to get it out of here. Right. And so forth. Yeah, maybe two or three times a year, you know, because if stuff's not selling and you got to make room, I mean, it's just a pick and choose situation. You going to pick what's not selling, take it off, and replace it with stuff. You know, is going to make money because that. The longer you keep inventory, the less it's going to start sell stop selling.
0: Right. And here's one method that we did not discuss where you can also profit from inventory that's not selling. What if you were to sell to a bargain outlet, you know, like Ollie's Bargain Outlet, for example, or Dirt Cheap. Have you heard of these stores? What they do is that they buy pallets of damaged or unwanted merchandise from bigger stores like Walmart or other stores that just want to get rid of this stuff in general, and then they sell it at a, at a very low discounted rate. For example, they'll buy pallets of stuff from the discount aisles that didn't sell, or pallets full of damaged merchandise. Maybe they have TVs that have cracked screens or are missing remote controls and stuff like that. That's what these types of stores do. They don't care about the condition of it. They just buy it, and they try to resell it to the consumer. Yeah, you know,
1: we have places like that here. We have we have a couple of olives, and then we have another big store here called Bargain Bin that does the exact same thing. But right. olives is more for stuff that... They'll, they'll, they'll buy, they're, they're do, they do pallet sales where stuff actually works. or more like warehouse sales or so forth. And the bargain is yep. more like, you know, this has got damage, but it's remote, like you said. There's a little bit of damage, but right. still works.
2: Mm-hmm. Now always tends to buy a lot of uh, factory overruns as well. Yeah. So it's pretty much first-rate merchandise. Mostly what I've found with my own experiences we'll always merchandise when I've bought there is that most of the damage is just cosmetic damage. Mm -hmm. Scratch and dent returns that other stores couldn't sell. Right. And I've been happily awarded. I had a dishwasher from one I paid 50 bucks for that would cost me 800 from Rose and it lasted for four or five years before it blew up. Mm -hmm. Which is the standard life of a dishwasher.
0: Yeah, that's a great deal right there, too. And... Business owners who have retail storefronts who want to unload all their surplus, their excess merchandise that didn't sell, selling to one of these outlet stores is a great way to, to net some extra profit. If you can't sell it to your consumers directly, why not sell it to why not sell it to a store that specializes in buying surplus, right? Yeah. yeah
2: because they'll be able to more likely sell it because the bargainistas who aren't gonna shop at your store. Mm-hmm are the kind of shopper that will shop at their store and buy it from them. I'll buy the discounted rate, but they'll still pay for it. Right. So they're not going to shop at yours because that particular consumer is going to view you as way too expensive. Right. And more often than not, they're going to be somebody that wouldn't shop at your store anyway. Right. If you're charging retail price, because most of the time, if they're shopping at somewhere like Ollie's or Goodwill, they ain't got the funds to shop at a place
0: like Walmart. True. As business owners, when you sell to one of these outlet stores, it's still a win-win situation because you're getting money for the products that you're trying to unload but couldn't sell on your storefront. And then the store you're selling to will eventually net a profit from it too once they mark it down and put it on their shelves. So in the age of inflation... I encourage business owners to evaluate what they currently have and then look for what they can raise a price on on a moderate level and then try to unload merchandise that you are certain is not going to sell. Don't just sell it to Ollie's or a similar store. Try to see if you could sell it within your storefront first at a discounted rate. And then if you feel that it's just not selling and it's just collecting dust in your stockroom, go ahead and try to sell to a surplus outlet. Let's go ahead and cover the final step that the article discusses, which is be ready. Ready for new customers. The first sentence of the first paragraph under this step says, Inflation automatically creates new customer segments, so go after them. So I think that's a very self-explanatory sentence. You are getting more customer segments due to inflation. These newer customer segments are people who are looking for a deal. They are looking for a break. Chances are you will have to start targeting lower income markets because of this. That's basically what they're saying.
1: Right. Uh, and what I would notice, I, I sort of did that as well. What I would notice is uh, when uh, inflation would, would, would start taking place, that's when people started coming in to me to sell the their products or my inventory started coming in because, unfortunately, they may have needed some money.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh because of the rise of cost of living. So that would benefit me because my my, my probably forty five, fifty percent of my stock would would be walked walks in through the door where I, I buy it or trade it for something. So that would that would benefit me when inflation prices would go up at Walmart or
0: someplace mm-hmm. like that. That's right. They couldn't afford to go over there, so they came to your store. And like
1: Justin said, Andrew, them where they they can't do Walmart, they'll come to me because, you know, hopefully for a better deal or, or or to trade something, but they can't do that elsewhere.
0: Right. That's an example of creating a new customer base. You will have to start segmenting again and reevaluating your marketing strategy. You're going to have to start thinking about whether you're losing customers because your prices are just not within their budget, within your normal target audience's budget. But what can you do to segment your target audience to include these newer markets who are cost-cutting who are trying to get a good deal, who are trying to get a break. Once you know that your original target audience is no longer attainable, then you need to start focusing on other markets or on other audience groups that are, in fact, attainable. And this might mean having to move your storefront out of where you're at now to another location that is within the area that matches these newer demographics.
2: Yeah, because you've always got to follow where your customer is going.
0: That's right. Because if
2: you're not located conveniently to their house, which most of the time, most consumers refuse to travel more than 45 minutes from their house to shop or work.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I don't like to shop too far away. I was just saying, I know back in
1: my store was open back in the early 2000s when the internet was still kind of still in the process of coming to age, especially with the uh, internet shopping. So, uh, uh, what benefited me was I actually. Uh, Went open up an Amazon store because that's where people are starting to turn more to for better prices and so forth. Mm-hmm. Shopping online, and that of course, obviously, that's took it, taken off. That's right. But, um, that was that, that. That probably brought in maybe twenty five percent of my sales.
0: That also raises an important point that I wanted to cover as well. When you're selling online, you may have no choice but to increase your prices a little bit there too because now you have to cover mm-hmm. shipping costs. And they are
1: out shipping fees at the the companies, eBay and Amazon, they're outrageous. And plus, nowadays it's even harder because, uh, as a few months ago, media mail rates, the first class mail went up uh, 9% just
0: recently. And that's due to the inflation rate we're facing right now. That's why. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes.
0: That's actually going to be, we're actually going to discuss e-commerce in a future episode. However, I did want to mention that shipping does affect the price greatly and a lot of customers will, in fact, abandon their online shopping carts when they see that the shipping is just so much. In some cases, it costs more than the item itself. I face that myself too. I might see a great deal on a certain item that I want to buy, but then when I see how much the shipping is, I'm like, forget it. I'm not going to buy it. That's too much money. That's more than I anticipated on spending. Every consumer will have that mindset. Shipping has has always been the killer of most online deals. It would
1: be it would be very hard for me if I still have my store to sell online right now. For it, if I'm selling a, a $10 DVD and then I'm got to put another four dollars medium mail shipping on it, right? That's 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 a hard sell.
0: That is a hard sell. The best thing you could do would be if you're selling to your local audience is just to offer in-store pickup where they buy online, then come to the store to pick it up. But in terms of selling nationally, yeah, I see what you mean. It it, it would be very expensive. The sad truth is that due to this 9% inflation rate, it's going to be hard to keep costs low. In general, you'll have to increase how much you're selling per unit, per product. And then you're going to have to factor in shipping expenses. Shipping prices are not only affected by the inflation rate, but also by these crazy sky-high gas prices we're facing right now. Exactly.
1: I mean, it's either going to be pick up your quantity that you're selling to make up for the loss that you're going to have to take because because of the higher shipping rates. You're probably going to have to lower the, the cost of your actual
0: product. That's right. When it comes to lowering the price of your products, make sure it's only at a gradual rate where you'll still make a profit. Otherwise, if you're selling for less than what it costs to manufacture the product, you're dumping the product that's what dumping means to sell a product for less than what it costs to manufacture it so you don't want to dump your products you want to make sure that you lower it to where it's reasonable to where your customer base can afford it but you the business owner are still making a profit you never want to lower your products to the point to where you're not making a profit the only time companies ever do that is when they have so much of one item that they they just really want to get rid of it and they're willing to just Sell it at throwaway prices. Dumping is not an ideal business strategy. It's, it's, it's,
1: it's basically just a waste.
0: It is. That's when you lose out on money. You're not making a profit. Your return on investment. I even look
1: as it as a break-even sale. I even look at that in a way as a waste as well because, I mean, it's, it's a waste of your time. It is. You sell a product for what you bought it for or what mm-hmm. you're paying for.
0: Right. It doesn't make sense to spend a certain amount of dollars per unit only to sell at a much less price than what you paid to obtain them in the first place. Like I just said, the only time that businesses do that is when they have so much of one product that they just want to get rid of it. They don't care at this point. They don't care if they make a profit. They just want it gone.
1: Right. I've been in that situation, unfortunately, just to, just to get it out.
0: What were you selling? What was it specifically that you were trying to unload?
1: Uh, I had like a certain, I forget which, what title it was, but I had just way much overstock on, on a certain specific VHS at the time. I was that, that was still in back in the early 2000s. and. Mm-hmm i i think i bundled all, all i have several tiles where i had multiple copies of it and it just kind of happened that way uh what used to sell didn't sell but i would bundle it like you know get four vhs for five eight dollars or something like that
3: so mm-hmm. I, would it, I
1: would do it that way so i could have because vhs took up, they, they take up a lot of room they do it's not like a cd a little compact cd but right yeah that that that's what i would do pretty much with that
0: Yeah, you're utilizing bundling, which is a great strategy to sell certain things. When you bundle, you're giving your customers more value. If they pay one price for X amount of items, then they're going to be leaving your store satisfied. They are able to stretch their dollar to the best of their ability. And that's what you want to do. And during this period of inflation, do whatever you can or offer to your customers whatever you can to stretch their dollar and get the most value.
1: It kind of goes back to that. Nineteen ninety nine 99 versus $20, you know, they're saying, well, they're thinking I'm getting all this stuff for this one flat price.
0: Right, know. that's right. The $20, the odd even pricing is always a great way to help make your deals look more attractive. Pretty much every store utilizes that pricing strategy. Have you ever seen a price tag that flat out said $20 or $50, it's always $49.99, $19.99, right? You don't even
1: see prices like that at a, at a, at a flea market or a Goodwill or something where they're probably not doing taxes or anything like that. In mm-hmm. and, 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 and a flea market type environment, that's probably a little bit better pricing strategy. Yeah,
0: in my yeah opinion. that's true. Bundling is an
2: easy way to get your customers to buy more product at a slightly increased cost mm-hmm. because they'll be they're getting a better deal.
0: Mhm. That's right. When you bundle products and services in general, it's always going to look more attractive in the eyes of the consumer because they think that they are paying one really low price, or just one reasonable price in general to get more items, especially if you can do like a buy one, get one free sale, or buy two for the price of one. It looks attractive, doesn't it? It's hard to resist. Yeah. I've always felt that bundling is a strategy that many business owners should utilize, and too many of them don't. Probably because they don't have the profit margins to do it. If you look at your profit margins and bundling looks allowable, I would say go for it. You'll just see more customers in general. You only want to do that, though, if you know for sure that your profit margin will allow it. I can't stress that enough because you don't want to just give away extra services for nothing. That can be very dangerous. That'll hurt your profit. That'll hurt your overall bottom line. You'll realize that you're taking losses because you gave away two products for free by charging one price for the main product and then just giving the other two with it. You have to make sure that the price you charge somewhat covers everything in the bundle.
2: Well, if you give too many discounts, it will put your business
0: out of business. Mm
2: -hmm. So they should be used as a judicious tool on inventory that you need gone.
0: Right. We discussed that a few episodes ago about how giving too many discounts is is very dangerous. I'm going to go ahead and close out the show by saying this. Remember that raising your prices to fight inflation comes at a cost. You want to do it with a strategy. You don't want to just lower prices or raise prices willy-nilly. You want to make sure that you're raising your prices to the point to where you are not scaring your customer away, it's still reasonable, and that you're still making a profit overall versus using such price increases to simply pay for operating expenses. And then always remember to refine your marketing strategy accordingly. Make sure that you retweak your strategy to include people who are most likely to buy your products at the higher rate. The sad truth is that you're going to lose customers because of inflation. You are going to run into customers who are not longer going to be able to afford your product at the price you are selling it at. As the inflation rate rises, they are going to be looking for alternatives, so you're going to want to target people who will buy your product at the higher rate. You may want to target higher income demographics, or you may want to target people with a lower income demographic where you know you could still sell at a reasonable rate that they can afford where you're not taking a loss. And those are my final words on the subject. I want all business owners to handle inflation strategically. You don't want to just make decisions that will end up hurting you in the long run because you want to stay in business. We want to see small business owners stay afloat. We don't want to see them collapse because of inflation. I want to thank you both for joining me on the show. Y'all both had some great insight. I'm glad I was able to talk to both a business owner with a storefront, and a consumer, both who have experiences and examples to share. Oh, Thank
1: you. Thanks for having us on.
2: Thanks. It was a pleasure.